finishing up the book today. So let's take a look at where we've, we've been. Approximately how many years does of history does the book of Numbers cover? Thirty-eight. Yeah, thirty-eight or thirty-nine. Um, it begins uh, <clears throat> at the beginning of the second year uh, of since they left Egypt, which means one year after they left Egypt. So that's why I'm saying like thirty-nine because it ends just before Moses' death. The only uh, really the only story we have left to cover before they cross the Jordan um, well I guess there's really two stories there's a story of Moses' death and there's a story of the spies you know, going uh, in advance um, in terms of calendar time those two together aren't going to take a lot of time so we've almost finished the 40 years at this point uh, numbers covering almost 39 of those years. And in this particular outline, and there's different ways you can outline the book, but um, in this particular outline, we've divided the book into three pieces. The first piece, uh, almost 10 chapters, covering getting ready to leave Sinai. They, they had stayed at Sinai for most uh, of, of the time. I mean, they, it, they, they got to Sinai originally at about... Um, seven weeks after they left Egypt and they stayed there um, until a few weeks after the Passover of the second year which means they were there just maybe 11 months between 10 and 11 months so uh, I'm sure it must have been quite a surprise to get on on their way again and so the first few chapters of the book have carefully uh, given them new laws and um, the order of their camping, the order of their march, all these things were, were set up in the first one-third of the book. Then the next section covers about 38 years. And it's not, and, and most of the stories are really at the beginning of that time. Um, they go to, uh, up to Kadesh Barnea where the spies go in uh, to the land and then of course uh, people decide they don't want to, they don't trust God to lead him in and so they discovered Moses was as disappointed as anybody 40 or more years Um, and so then we there's a couple stories we don't know exactly where to put within that period of time like uh, Miriam's rebellion Miriam Aaron's rebellion against them or Korah, Dathan, and Byram's rebellion they're in that area but then the next thing we know they're back at Kadesh where they were when they refused to go in, they're back there again, it's time to march, but this time they're not going to go in from Kadesh, they're going to march around and go in at opposite Jericho. And so that covers, um, well, the march from Kadesh to Mount Hor, um, I think think that's, um, this is the part where the Edomites refuse to let them go through their land and they have to go around and the people complain about how rough it is and then the, God sends what, in, what against them to punish them. Fiery serpents. Yeah, fiery serpents. Um, and then last week, we were into this third section, the events that occurred east of the Jordan. Uh, and 
that primarily involved a um, a uh, pagan prophet by the name of what? Balaam. Balaam yes. Um, but where do, where did they have to go to get him? Long way. Yeah, he was all the way up on, on the Euphrates River, um, not you know maybe a hundred miles or so from Herod, where Abraham's family was from. And uh, God, of course, didn't allow him to curse the people, and but he actually he did accomplish part of his goal. What did he What did he do that did a lot of damage against the people? Yeah, he he advised them to send the the Midianite women in and get and they would talk them in into coming to their idolatrous feasts. And um, what was the end result of that? Yeah, there was a plague followed by a spearing, and the spearing stopped the plague. I think there was twenty-four thousand died in the plague, and then Phinehas was the one who speared those people in his um, zealous anger against these people. You know, the rest of the congregation was mourning over this sin, and these people were continuing to participate. All right, then. um, in today's lesson, we're going to cover uh, the second numbering in the book. This is where the book of Numbers gets its name from. We had the first numbering at the beginning. This is another census. Uh, and some more laws. They're going to have a battle against the Midianites because of them sending in those women. And uh, then there's some uh, second set of laws. So there's not a lot of story in, in, in this morning's lesson. There's mostly just additional uh, laws in preparation for going into the land. Any questions before I turn this off? Actually, let me not turn it off. Let me just switch to a, a different overhead. need to look at the bottom part of this map. They started up here in Egypt. In in what book tells that story? Exodus. Exodus, yeah. And the night of the Passover they, they left Egypt, spent quite a while kind of wandering around until Pharaoh got suckered into following them and they crossed the Red Sea and his army got wiped out. Um, and they had various problems with water and food and they eventually made it to Mount Sinai um, where they got the um, Ten Commandments and Moses spent time on the mountain how how long was he up on the mountain the first time? 40 days and most of the most of those chapters cover uh, what? And while he's on the mountain, he's getting instructions in in, in what? Well, um, we did we do have the story of the golden calf, but I'm th- I'm thinking of what instructions did God give him on the mountain? Yeah, the primary thing there were multiple chapters how to build a tabernacle. And and then you have the golden calf incident, um, 
which so they've already broken the covenant, the Ten Commandments, and he goes back for another forty days, and then they build the tabernacle, and that takes us to the end of Exodus. And so at the end of Exodus, there's still at Mount Sinai, and then the Book of Numbers starts in just after they put up the tabernacle, and it takes us forward as we've been discussing. So from there, um, they um, they travel up to Kadesh Barnea, and that's where they sent the spies in, and that's where the people rebelled. And then they kind of they just spent time in the wilderness. We just don't, we don't we have very little about it. I mean, a few hints uh, with some lists of, of where they were, but not much. And then they meet at the end of of the 40 years almost and they would like to take the shortcut directly in Um, Aaron dies on Mount Hor but they would like to take the shortcut in but Edom refuses and I don't know that this map is correct because I think they had to go south around Edom to get up there I'm by no means an expert in in the geography here but I, I know that they were refused the easiest route and and they, they said they were going to take the King's Highway they were, and that's, this is the King's Highway they refused that and I, I get the impression they went farther east certainly I would agree with, with this part of the map they certainly went east uh, of, of Moab and then once they got north of Moab in this area here they were forbidden to attack either Edom or Moab they were related to both of those peoples um, how were they related to Edom? Yeah, Esau it was Jacob's brother how are they related to Moab? Lots. Yeah, this was this was one of Lot's uh, sons through the incest of his daughters, and so they end up here. They they conquer two kingdoms that that hadn't been that wasn't God's plan in turn. And when I say His plan, I mean of course God knows what what's going to happen, but. Um, they were supposed to conquer the Canaanites on this side of the Jordan. The, the people on the, on the east side of the Jordan were not part of the total destruction plan, but those people attacked them first, so they, um, they defend themselves and, and, and end up wiping out, pretty much wiping out those two kingdoms. And, and in fact, in today's lesson, we're going to talk about what they're going to do with that territory. And, and they're waiting here at this camp um, east, east of the Jordan, when um, the king of Moab, um, Balak, was that his name? He calls in Balaam, and, but apparently there, apparently Moab and the Midianites, which are not on the map because the Midianites were kind of traveling in nomads, they they apparently teamed up on this plan because it was the Midianite women that that went into. Um, to, to try to seduce the, the Israelite men. Any questions on the map then? All right. Um, now let's take a look at our text. Chapter 26, as we mentioned, is the, um, is the second census. Um, and... The, the relative sizes of the tribes has changed somewhat. I'm not going to go into the details because I don't really 
I don't have them at the top of my head, but um, the total didn't change very much. I mean, the, the first total was around 600,000. The second total was around 600,000. Uh, so um, they basically just swapped the old 600,000 for a new 600,000. Of the 600,000, how many had been counted in the first census? Two. Two. <laughs> and we happen to know their names. Yeah, Joshua and Caleb, the two faithful spies. Was Moses counted in the first census? No, he, he wasn't a, a, a foreign Right, he was from the tribe of Levi. The Levi tribe wasn't in the census. They had a separate census for Levi because the 600,000 was uh, a military census. It was all the men who were, who were 20 years or older able to bear the sword. Then, chapter 27 introduces us to an interesting story, the first few verses. The daughters of Zelophehad. Um, and what is their issue? They have no brothers. brothers. Yeah, and their father has died. Of course, he was part of the 600,000 that was numbered the first time. And that grieves them because it matters a lot to them to preserve their family. And so they bring it to Moses. Moses takes it to God, and God agrees with them. Said yes, um, they should in fact have a. Have, they should get their their percentage as a family. Uh, now, if they had had any brothers, the brothers would have dealt with it, and and the and the sisters would have been out in terms of getting this inheritance. The only reason they're in there is because they're the only ones that that are left of that family. And so this becomes a law from that time forward. If a man dies and he doesn't have any sons, then his daughters are to inherit. And if he doesn't have any daughters, then what do you do? Yeah, yeah. Some of his own brothers would would inherit. Oh, you know. So it's just they're trying to keep the inheritance within the family to the extent possible. And then the second part of chapter twenty-seven is the sad reminder. From Moses, um, he's not going to go in the land. Um, now we don't get to the conclusion of this till the very end of the book of Deuteronomy, but this is this, this reminder now. And but Moses has a request, and what's that request? Uh, I don't think that's in this story. Um, that yes, in this story, he 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 wants. A leader for the people. And this is a very wise request that he's making. What Later on we're going to find out in the book of Judges just what happens when the people don't have a leader. And the same problem is today. Um, in churches that don't have leaders, um, it's, it's very sad. And God has not created us all where everyone can is qualified to be a leader. Um, and in fact, it would be pretty bad if you had a whole congregation that was all leaders. <laughs> um, but it's also pretty bad if you have a congregation that's none of them leaders. And in for Israel, they needed one leader for the whole country. Just one. 
But without that one, it was going to be really bad. And, and Moses understood that. I mean, you think back over the hit, hit over the past 40 years, and Moses has been doing a tremendous amount of work on behalf of these people. They needed him. And he understands that they're going to need somebody after he's gone. And so who does God pick? Yeah, Joshua, one of those two faithful spies. And in fact, Joshua has been a servant of somebody. Yeah, he's been Moses' servant up until this time. So he's had some good experience. And um, in verse 20, this is chapter 27, you shall put some of your authority on him. That's kind of a strange way to put some of your authority, not like all of your authority. But I think what this is indicating is that Moses really was unique. He, he, there's nobody that matches him in the entire Old Testament. Um, in the New Testament, there's one. And that's, and that's intentional. Moses was the Old Testament version of, of the New Testament Jesus. Um, Jesus has all authority. And so with Moses, take some of your authority, put it on him. And in verse 21, He will stand before Eliezer the priest who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. You remember those two stones called the Urim and the Thummim that were carried in the pocket of the high priest's robe? We don't know exactly how they worked, but obviously the high priest knew how they worked. And the high priest could use those stones to inquire what the Lord's will was. This is different from with Moses. Moses didn't have to use those. Moses just went and talked to God directly. But Joshua is going to have to go through the high priest, and the high priest will inquire for him what is the will of God. He still can find out God's will, but it's, it's at a different level than it was with Moses. So Moses then laid his hands on Joshua to commission him. And so Joshua is going to be the one that's going to take over after he's, after he's gone. Then in chapter 28 and, and 29, actually all the way through chapter 30, we have some laws. Now these laws are in addition to what they've already had, and they're, getting, and they're laws in preparation for going into the land. Um, mostly they have to do with sacrifices, though there are, is something about vows that we'll talk about. And so it, it begins with the daily sacrifice. Now where would these sacrifices be offered? Yeah, on the altar of burnt offering, which was in front of the tabernacle inside the court. And so, um, in verse 3, this is chapter 28, in verse 3, um, every day they offer two male lambs, one year old. Uh, one in the morning, the other at twilight, the time the sun goes down. Um, and then there are some other things to go with those offerings. But on the Sabbath day, they do extra. Um, uh, two male lambs added to the already two they were going to have just because it was ordinary day. So that would total four. Then uh, in verse 11, on the first day of each month, which takes place during what phase of the moon? Yes, yeah, and the first day of the month was often called the new moon. They had a, they, you, they might even call it the feast of the new moon. They had extra offerings, um, 
they added two bulls, one ram, seven, I mean, seven, quite a bit more. So that you have this ascending sequence, days that become increasingly important. Ordinary days, Sabbath days, new moons. Um, then, beginning in verse 16, they start talking about the, the feast days. And the feast days in their calendar came in two sets. Um, you had the spring set and then you had the fall set. Now, they didn't call them that, but that's, that's when they took place. The spring set began in the first month of the year, which um, would be somewhere around our March, uh, March or April. And what, what would be the first feast? Passover, Passover yes. Um, but there's a bunch of feasts together. There's the Passover. Then on the day after the Sabbath, there's the waving of the sheaf. And the day after the Sabbath begins the days of unleavened bread. How long did those last? Seven. Seven, seven days. Um, there actually is one place in the Bible where it, I think it did go 14 days because they, they liked it so much they decided to do another seven days. <laughs> I knew that. Very good. <laughs> Um, and then seven weeks after the Passover, what was the feast? Feast of the first fruits, also known as Pentecost. So this is the spring set, and and for each of these, this chapter gives offerings. It's, it's not covering everything to do with the, the feast, but it, it does give the specific offerings. I believe for the Passover, the only offering, special offering, was the lamb that each person, each house was to kill and, and eat. But the other other things all, all had special offerings in, in the, um, the tabernacle. Then in chapter 29 we begin the second set, the fall set. And this begins with on the first day of the seventh month. What was that day called? Yeah, the Feast of Trumpets. And, and, and they, it describes the offerings for that. Um, and then on the tenth day of that month was the holiest day of the year called what? The Day of Atonement. And it gives the offerings for that. Um, then on the fifteenth day of the month they begin a week-long feast called the what? A feast of booths. A feast of tabernacles. The fun one where you get to camp out for a week. <laughs> um, and they had offerings. And, th and these offerings, this is an interesting one. It's, it's rather long because each day was a different number of animals. <laughs> it was decreasing. Um, uh, let's see how did, it started with 13 bulls, and it dropped. And by the, the last day, it was down to seven bulls. And of course, there's other animals with it as well. Then on the eighth day, there was an additional feast. Um, so you can see how the two kind of match each other. You've got the spring and you've got the fall set. Then in um, uh, in chapter 30, there's some more about vows. Now, this probably doesn't do a lot for most people, but I find this fascinating because in the book of Leviticus, that book ended with a chapter on vows. And we talked about how well that's sort of an appendix at the end. And so now we're doing the same thing. We're covering a bunch of sacrifices, just like the book of Leviticus, and then we cover vows. <laughs> um, 
In this case, the vow, in the book of Leviticus, the covering the vows was specifically on what, what aspect? Substitution. Yeah, yeah. How to pay? How much to pay if you can't give the item itself, or if you don't want to give the item itself? This, in chapter thirty here, that's not about that. This, this, what's what's this one about? Yes, um, it, it's dealing with what could have been a, a big problem. Um, I mean, a vow. Well, first of all, what is a vow? Yeah, a promise you make to God, and and um, typically it would involve some kind of a gift to God. Uh, there's different kinds. I mean, uh, we read in in um, the Book of Acts that there's a time when Paul had a vow and he got his hair cut in Sincrea. Um, so and that may have been a Nazarite vow, but it certainly was not a vow to you know like give a sacrifice. It was a vow to cut his hair. <clears throat> but typically, it's a vow to give something. And one of the most famous of those vows was in the Book of Judges. Uh, no. It starts with a J. Jephthah. Yeah. Jephthah's. We call it Jephthah's rash vow. Although the book of Judges doesn't say it was his rash vow. It just says it was a vow. And when he got home, you know, he, he, he vowed kind of open ended thing. The first thing that comes out to meet me when I get home, I'll offer that as a burnt offering. And of course, the first thing when he got home was not, you know, a sheep or something like that. It was his daughter. Um, and that's a that's one of the more famous vows. And, but people took vows. This is I, I'm sure it was fairly common. The problem comes up is if you've got a marriage, and you've got a husband making vows, you've got a wife making vows, and what's the what's the priority? What is the um, I mean because you're basically when you make a vow, I mean you, you're really you're binding the whole family. I mean you, what you, what you're dedicating isn't something that someone else in the family can can just turn around and say, "Hey, I wanted to keep that. I didn't want that, you know, vowed away." And so this chapter covers that rule. The the the, the it regulates that situation. And the rule basically is that in a, with a husband and wife, if the wife makes a vow, does the vow count? Right, only if her husband agrees to it. The implication is the husband is the head of the house, which of course we read that in the New Testament. And so we don't we don't have two heads here. We don't have some kind of a democracy where each you know handles half of it. Um, if the woman is not married and she makes a vow, but the vow may be for the future, and then she gets married, what's the situation there? The first part the father would have say while she's in his house which of course she will be before she gets married maybe not I mean if she was a widow or, or divorced she might not be but typically she would be but then if the vow hasn't been fulfilled before she gets married now she gets married then what yeah he can, he has a say when he first hears it he can't go back later but when he first hears it he can either say okay or no I mean, he can't you know two months later say you know I I said okay, but I don't like that. It was a vow, and he agreed to it, and it's his responsibility as well as his wife's at that point. So that um, that's the topic of vows in, in chapter thirty. Then we get to a story again, uh, chapter thirty-one. Uh, Take vengeance on who the Lord says. 
the Midianites because they had sent those women in. And so they did. And this was a very unusual military campaign because um, it included, in verse 6, it included someone that you normally don't think of going into a war. Yeah, Phinehas. When did we last have Phinehas? When he speared the, the, those two people committing fornication, one of the, whom was a Midianite. So this is a holy war being done against the Midianites, and he's part of it. Um, so they, they, they did pretty much a, almost a total slaughter. Um, and how many uh, Israelites got killed in the battle? None of them, which is very unusual, and they understood that. They understood that was a gift from God, and so they offered a special gift the gold um, jewelry they had taken in in the battle. All the all their gold jewelry was dedicated to God as a gift for that. And there's also a discussion of, of the booty being shared among the ordinary people as well. All right. Um, chapter 32 then. Um, some tribes got an interesting idea. First, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it it mentions two tribes initially, Reuben and Gad. Later on, we find out that half of the tribe of Manasseh was also in, included in this. Apparently, the Reubens and Gad's idea. Um, those two tribes were they felt that they were somewhat unique because of what? Yeah, they they had just a lot of flocks, livestock, and things, and. This land they were looking at was perfect for that, which it really, which it was. I mean, this was um, this was great pasture land, and once they, and I don't know how they knew this, but on the west side of Jordan there wouldn't have been nearly as much pasture land. So they, they were correct. This was, you know, this land east of the Jordan was the best pasture land in the whole area, and so they said, well, j- just you can just give this, you know, just give us this land. And I mean, I don't put it this way, but you know that'll give more for everybody else. And um, you know, we'll just settle down here, and you guys, you know, go on. And, <laughs> and what was Moses' response to that? That, that, that was serious. <laughs> he was, he was really upset about this. Um, and I, I don't know for sure that their plan initially was. You know, we don't have to help anybody conquer the land. I don't know if that was the plan. But I do know they didn't mention that. (laughs) Um, uh, All they said in verse 5 was, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your service as a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. You know, if you take that at face value with no modifiers at all, it sounds like, hey, we're done. (laughs) And this remained... this. Tribal attitude remained a problem for for centuries after this. Where, um, in the Book of Judges, especially, um, one tribe would go up against an enemy, and another tribe would refuse to help. Uh, just it just seemed to happen over and over again. Very rarely did they get everybody together to do anything. And Moses uh, Moses understands rightly the the danger of that. It's it's basically the same as when the spies, you know, discourage everyone from going to the land. You know, you're you're going to take out you know, two of our 12 tribes 
This is not. This is terrible. So they came back with an alternative plan. What was their alternative plan? <clears throat> Yeah, we'll leave the wives and the children behind. We'll we'll build you know build walls and everything to where it'll be safe, but but we as warriors will go across and, and help fight. And uh, was Moses happy with that? Yeah, yeah, he accepted that. But this will come up again. I mean, I, I I can't give you the reference now, but we'll come to it where. Before before Moses dies, he gives charge to Joshua. And one of the things he, he gives him a charge about is, make sure those two tribes go over with you. <laughs> if they don't go over with you, they don't get any inheritance on this side of the Jordan. You're going to have to make them get their inheritance on the west, whether they like it or not. Um, then chapter 33 is a review. Um a big summary of their whole journeys, um, and I, I don't, I don't know where all these places are. I don't think anybody does. Truth of the matter, I mean, some of the places, of course, we know, but um, he lists he lists a number of places that really weren't in the story before, because because I guess nothing major happened. But he he goes through um, everywhere they've journeyed, and if we had a map that had every one of these places on it and we knew it was right, we wouldn't have any question about the route they took. But this was in the desert. This was not. This was not like major cities they were stopping at here. A lot of these, and some of these places, even were they got their name because of what happened when the Israelites got there. I mean, they had no name before that, and if they had a name after that, you know, it would have had just been local people that happened to remember it. But they ended up in verse forty-nine. They camped by the Jordan from Beth Beth Shemoth as far as Abel Shittim in the plains of Moab. They were scattered out. I mean, there, it's a, you know 600,000 soldiers with families and all. It's a huge number. And so they're, they're camped over a fairly, fairly large area opposite Jericho. Then as we finish up chapter 33, God again gives some instructions that they have to be careful about when they go in the land. When they go in the land, what do they do to do to the inhabitants of the land? Every one of them has to be destroyed. If they don't do that, what's God going to do? Yeah, yeah. If you don't, if you don't destroy them, then I'll destroy you. Basically, is what he's saying. What, what, what I was going to do to them, I'll do to you. And that's going to come up more in the in the next book. The book of Deuteronomy is going to deal a lot with this problem of what's going to happen if the if the Israelites turn away from God. As and of course, as we know, they did turn away from God. Uh, chapter thirty-four, as they get ready to go in, um, they they get assigned. Well, first of all, they're told what the border is going to be, and this border in chapter thirty-four is all west of the Jordan, and it doesn't cover the the two and a half tribes. And then they're assigned leaders from each tribe who are going to help apportion the land out. They're, they're divided up, although there's going to also be a lot issue where God will be the one that makes the final determination who gets what area. But they'll decide um, how big an area to consider to put into maybe one, one parcel or one lot. Of these leaders, there's only one guy that we even know about. And who's that? 
No, uh, he's not one of them. Caleb, Caleb that's right. Uh, Caleb of the tribe of um, Ephraim, I believe. No, he's of the tribe of Judah, and Joshua is the tribe of Ephraim. Verse 19, yeah, Caleb. So he's the leader of that tribe, but all the others, are. we don't know anything about them. Uh, I don't have any uh, little tiny letters next to them saying giving cross-references because I don't think they were mentioned again. <clears throat> then, and these are still issues to, to just making plans for when they cross the Jordan. In verse thir- in chapter 35, they got a, what, the, what are they going to do for the tribe of Levi? This goes back to the book of Genesis when Jacob gave the blessings on his sons, but two of those sons got curses instead of blessings. Um, yeah, Simeon and Levi, and, what, and the same curse was given to both of them. What was that curse? He didn't quite put it that way. Yeah, I will scatter them in Israel, I think is the way it's put. Yeah, scatter them in Israel. And but with Levi, I mean, Levi's been a very major tribe. Moses, Aaron, you know, priests. But that curse is still on. They're going to be scattered, which means they don't get a section. You can't look on the map and, and you know, here it is in pink. That's the tribe of Levi. It's not going to be that way. Instead, what are they? What's the tribe of Levi going to be given? Six. Cities. How many? You're close, but you didn't give a a magic number. <laughs> Forty-eight. Yeah, four times twelve. Twelve is a good number. So. <laughs> yeah, of the forty-eight, six of them were the cities of refuge, which that's going to come up again. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on it. But the, these forty-eight cities are inside all the other tribes. They're going to be on both sides of Jordan. Um, they're going to be some in every tribe. So the Levites will be scattered in Israel. But interesting enough, God is taking this curse and He's going to turn it into a blessing for the people of Israel because the Levites will be a source of instruction to the people. By having these cities of Levites all, all over the land, you'll have people that will be able to instruct them in, in the laws of God, assuming the Levites uh, themselves are doing their part of learning those laws. Um, and so um, just briefly what is a city of refuge for? yes if you accidentally kill someone instead of getting the death penalty you can run to a city of refuge and stay there how long? till the high priest dies kind of an odd uh, sentence isn't it? (laughs) Um, of course that's pointing forward to the great high priest Jesus and the, all the people being released from their bondage when, when He dies on the cross. Um, finally, the last chapter comes back to something we, were, we said earlier. Uh, the daughters of Zelophehad, they had gotten what they wanted, but meantime, the people of their tribe have been doing some thinking. Hmm, we see a problem here. What's the problem? Yeah, these these daughters, they're naturally going to get married. And who are they going to marry? Well, they, they might marry anybody at some other tribe. And then um, their children would inherit this property. And their children are taking the name from their father, different tribe. 
and you've transferred from one tribe the land from one tribe to another another which was never God's plan so Moses goes to God and what does God say to do about that tell them to marry within their tribe <coughs> which modern Americans would have a major problem with that you know modern Americans view you know their view is I can do whatever I want I can marry whoever I want but in this case God said no you can't you can only marry in your tribe now it's only specifically for women who have inherited if, if you if you haven't inherited anything if you've got brothers that are doing the inheriting you can marry outside the tribe that's no problem but if you have if you're one of these women that's inheriting because you have no brothers then you must marry within your own tribe and um, so they did um, who did they marry they married the cousins yeah first cousins now when we when we were studying the book of Leviticus there were certain close relatives you couldn't marry were first cousins included in that list they were not no uncles were first cousins were not in the list so this is fine what they did it, it was perfectly valid and it was exactly what the Lord said marry within your tribe so this solved the problem and that that remained again the law uh, from, from then on for women that would, would inherit property in their family Whenever I teach this class to teenagers, they'd always get a big kick out of these names like Hogla and Noah. You know. So this finishes the book of Numbers. We're going to start Deuteronomy next next week, and Deuteronomy is going to be um, mostly a review of what we've covered. Uh, it's a it's a giant speech that Moses gave to the people before he died, and the only story in it that is new is Moses dying. And of course, that wasn't part of his speech. Someone had to add that, obviously after after he was gone. Uh, but as you read through, you're you're, you're going to you'll realize we already covered that. Well, we already covered lots of this. It's going to cover lots of laws. Some of the laws are new, but a lot of them are review. Ten Commandments are in here again. I mean, a lot of... I mean, the word Deuteronomy means what? Second law. Second law. And it's not second law in the sense of you know a new one, uh, but it's a second recitation of the law. So, But before we close, I just want to look at this, the lesson from the book of Numbers. Because it's a separate book, and I think it tends to be a separate book. And I'll be covering quite a bit of this in my sermon this morning. It, it's interesting time because I'm doing for the first part of First Corinthians 10, which does a review of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And, and the, the lesson from on one side is, man, do these people mess up. <laughs> and we see that just over and over. And, and what God does about it, you know, God's not happy when people you know, do these sins like uh, having sex with the Midianite women and, 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 and grumbling on the way, you know, in, to, to the land. Uh, but the other, the other lesson, and Paul doesn't bring this out in First Corinthians 10, but, but we need to keep it in mind, and that is that God is able to accomplish His purposes even when people seem to be 
the least likely for him to work with. I mean, here you have a bunch of slaves who time and time again have refused to trust God, refused to do what God says. And it got, it got so bad that even Moses got so frustrated that he seemed to lose faith in them. And that's when he, he made the mistake at the rock, as you recall. But God's purposes are going to be accomplished. And He did take these people as uncooperative and sinful as they seem to be, and He did mold them into a people who could go into the land and accomplish His purposes. Of course, it wasn't done there. we still got a lot more books to go in the Old Testament. But that's another lesson of the book of Numbers. It's not just failure, but it's all about God and the fact that God can accomplish things even though people might seem to be behaving just the opposite of what God would need. Any last comments, questions? Appreciate everyone's help.